Welcome to The Looking Glass, a podcast exploring the relationship between people and their creativity. I'm Neil Cowley, and this week we're talking to American electronic composer and producer Kate Simcoe. Chicago-born Kate made her name as an international DJ throughout her 20s before settling in London, where she completed a Master's in Composition for Screen at the Royal College of Music. Soon after, she formed the London Electronic Orchestra, where she got to fuse her synth-based electronic roots with her newfound love for lush strings and orchestration. As well as releasing her own music, Kate continues to be a highly sought-after film score composer. We catch up with her in her London studio. This interview was recorded in November 2020. Have you noticed? Have you noticed that um, when you say "okay," you sound English? Have your American friends ever said that to you? No. Yeah, yeah. I reckon. I reckon. I reckon your uh, old home friends are thinking, "Who on earth does she oh, think she God. is?" Because she's, she's got all posh. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, a balance because you know, I I remember I had a friend who worked at a record store in Manchester for like six months. And then he moved back to Chicago with just a full British accent after six months and, you know, and never fully lost it. Whereas, you know, I've been here for eight and a half years, you know, I mean, I don't know to, you know, I, I purposely say some, some things I say the British way, just cause I have a three-year-old and it's too confused. You know, it's like, you know, if he needs to put rubbish in the bin, it's not and you're a parent, it's not the time to be being like, can you push put the trash in the garbage can yeah. and like, you know, you just want stuff done sometimes, you know? yeah, yeah. but you know, you say, you say you've got a three-year-old, I do. I um, just a little three. boy, I love a boy. Yeah. I just turned three. Yeah. Oh really? Uh, uh, a November birthday. I, then, a October, he's um, the last day of Libra, October 22nd. Oh, good. No, that's when I, I think I was supposed to be born on that day. I ended up being born on November the 5th, Guy Fawkes Night. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah. Oh. So I'm a proud Scorpio. Well, yeah, good. Happy birthday. Not that I ever believe in it, but... No, you know, no, Scorpio's Scorpio. good. Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, listen, I'm going to just... I've just made tea, although I don't want to... Is that... that's? What, I'm not going to, like, drink it super loud or something. Uh, well, I'm drinking coffee okay. because, um, as I said to you just before we uh, press record... Um, I've had you, we've both had nightmare mornings. My my nightmare morning was that supposedly in lockdown, the A4, the road into here was completely uh, chock a block, yeah. and uh, I think there was an accident actually, and everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong. Yeah. So that when when I buzzed on the door here, yeah. um, the lady who's normally on reception, I think she was in the loo, so she never showed. She <laughs> showed up for about ten minutes, and then when I was running to get a coffee a moment ago, I bumped into the guy who loves to talk to me for half an hour, and I just had to say, mate, no, 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 don't. Don't talk to me. I've got to go. So, so I'm amazed I'm here at all. But we're half an hour late. But we are. Yeah, um, no, it's fine. We're doing it. it. Kind of. Yeah, half an hour late feels about right for me because I was, yeah, delayed about fifty minutes or forty five minutes, and uh, let me catch up on a couple of things. So one second, I'm just pouring this. Tea okay. Right here. You pour some tea, right? <laughs> See, I told you you were English. I know, right? Exactly. <laughs> okay. So, so you were you were telling me about obviously you're you're a, you're a mum now. Yes. So, yeah, so um, I was just—I mean, I was thinking about this on the way up here. I was thinking, well, of course, uh, the subject of the moment, of course, is lockdown, and we're all as performers or composers, we're all being asked to do different things. And um, certainly, if you're a performer, which I know you are, um, 
you you're going to be struggling at this point. But I suppose, being that you've got a three year old, you probably made some uh, uh, performance sacrifices in the name of that, just because that's the nature of it. I mean, that's that's. I remember that's what happened to me. I mean, I um, when my son and my daughter were born, I made certain compromises. I managed to shoehorn live performance back in again, so that I felt human. But then, I suppose, in a way, you may have had a dress rehearsal for this kind of lockdown. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Well, I did. And I guess it was just the the timing for me. My son was born, you know, um, fall of 2017. I did a big concert at the end of 2018. So, you know, I started kind of getting back to work over the summer, Um, did a big show at the Barbican with Jamie Jones for full orchestra. And I orchestrated that. And, you know, we had a full electronic live set. There was just a lot to do. So, that was a good way to get me back into something, um, you know, get, get into a project. And we did that. And then 2019 for me was genuinely though, you know, where I started to get my stride back, you know, um, and going into 2020, you know, up until lockdown at the beginning of the year, I felt great. You know, I was just scoring a feature film. I just turned it in the 15th of March and Mm -hmm. finally felt like, okay, I'm, found my my stride balancing being you know mother of a toddler and getting my foot in the door with film composition and then I submitted that and then it was like boom you're a full-time mom and you have no job you know like <laughs> yeah yeah totally and, but, but it's interesting that you said you, you know you're you're um getting a foot in the door as a film composer because I know that's a relatively new development for you something you've worked towards for a long time I think yeah. I think I'm right in saying um you've even done a master's haven't you mm-hmm. um in uh, film composition or soundtrack composition or string arrangement it seems to me uh, all those kind of things you're you're, you're well versed in it and I've, I've heard you talk about it and thought I wish I'd done that because I'm so um haphazard and, and I've I heard you talk about that you know writing string arrangements as if you're writing piano block chords and that really isn't quite the right idea you know and it's good to develop those skills but I, it's interesting you didn't note Obviously, though it's a massive part of your life, you didn't note DJs DJing. So I wondered if, I wondered if DJing was something that you'd already laid aside in 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 the in the name of settling down here or creating a base here. Because I know that you you toured hugely internationally as a DJ. So I wondered if that's something you'd already set aside. Well, you know, I I'd say the peak of everything with me was happening with that around 2011. I had a song that was in the Deep House top 10 end of year chart and Beatport and, you know, I was doing really well. And I was just starting to get the European requests that I always really had hoped for. Um, but I did put that aside when I studied at the Royal College of Music because I, re- I, I moved here in 2012 to get a master's in composition for film and orchestra. And um, I had a lot to learn. I was the only student on the master's course who did not know how to orchestrate, you know, and how to write orchestra, orchestra. I didn't use the software for notation. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I was really starting from scratch and I just knew that I couldn't be in that starting place and be flying around DJing on the weekends, you know, and, uh, you know, I needed to work on the weekends and not be tired until Tuesday or whatever, you know? So, um, that was my conscious choice. And then by the time I graduated, you know, then it was sort of the summer after that. And I remember my agent was kind of going back to those A-list clubs that I was so excited and asked me. And, you know, those are just it, some of the places, most of the places, is 
they didn't really ask again. You know, it's just, it was more like, you know, that was my moment as a DJ and, um, and, you know, those kind of places, you know, they ask the booker has some spaces and they ask you then, and, you know, it's not like you can come back and be like, well, now it's convenient for her, you know, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. it wasn't at that level. Um, you know, it's so competitive. So, you know, in the, so I, I didn't mean to set aside DJing long-term, but my decision, which I do not regret, by the way, to come to London and focus on writing for orchestra, you know, in the end, it just, it put me on a different path here. You know, I just, mm. it did. I, I still have a lot of friends in the club scene, the club world, and um, I love DJing, but um, yeah, it just, it is what it is. I, I still love it. And I still, I still do perform. I, I think on the other side of lockdown, though, it's going to be so 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 competitive you know yeah you know yeah. absolutely yeah. it's a bit it's a bit like this the music market generally at the moment everyone's done a lockdown ep haven't they i mean literally everyone <laughs> me you know my my second aunt everyone's done yeah. a, a lockdown ep because what else was there to do other than sit and make music um but and I, am i right in saying you did also did a, uh, uh, some sort of musical education in south america well kind of i i did my undergrad at Northwestern in Chicago. I did a music degree and then um, I did a study abroad for a year in Santiago, Chile. And so I did music there. And that was amazing. And then I, outside of the university, though, was where I really met people and learned. Um, I sort of, I'm, I, I wrote the first, my first co produced album, you know, electronic album there. And um, yeah, so that was that was amazing. And then I went back a second time, we did a second album and um, yeah, I just learned a lot. I just, you know, there was just a lot to be learned. I think at the mm. time um, it was a, a really, really exciting place um, for a it was, it, it, It's really interesting what you said there when you, a little bit earlier, when you said you were talking about your DJing mm -hmm. career and, and how it, 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 it feels very much at that stage um, for many of us, I think that it is controlling you. It takes a long time for you to actually go, well, no, actually, I'm going to shape this a little bit. Um, I think in your 20s, not to not to generalise, but in one's 20s, um, you are so open to it controlling you and you're so open to where it takes you. And it takes you to such amazing places. Why would you argue with it? Yeah. Um, people are asking you to go here, there. I mean, hey, come to Lithuania. Great, never been. Let's go. You know, and, and then, you, as you say, you meet people, like you met people in Chile and elsewhere, um, and it enriches what you do. And it very much, it's quite selfish, I suppose, mm -hmm. but it feeds it. It feeds what you're doing enormously, but controls you. I, I, I wonder, do you feel... In contrast, contrast to that, I wonder, if, do you feel in any way in more control of what's going on now? I, I really like what you're saying. And um, I totally agree. You know, both of us saying that, you know, we have families and this and the other. I, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it is it was totally different. And, you're, you know, I, I love that spontaneity of sort of getting a last minute booking and just saying like, I know, you know, getting that phone call, like, I know it's crazy, but any chance you want to go to Sao Paulo and, you know, Rio this weekend, you know? They can buy the flights, you know, or, you know, get them over to you. I mean, I love that, you know, it was exciting. Um, uh, but in terms of control, I guess what happened for me, Neil, was I really felt like finally I had hit my stride, like I said, and part of that was a sense of control and feeling like I actually did have a new career, you know, with an agent and composition and everything before the lockdown. And that, yeah, that in some ways I could 
plan around a certain, let's say target for, you know, being able to score a certain amount and, you know, work on a certain caliber, caliber projects. And then now I guess all of us have lost complete control because there's just, you know, there's just so much uncertainty, right? So there's uncertainty in terms of releasing music. There's uncertainty in terms of publishing deals. There's uncertainty in terms of shows and you know no matter how big an artist you are you know if you have 20 percent capacity is it worth playing a show with the cost of tickets you know people don't have more money to spend on tickets so yeah Yeah. it was just but you're you're talking about two types of uncertainty which i think is quite yeah um, exactly that's true like the uncertainty the uncertainty that we were talking about previously where hey hey man anything could happen tomorrow morning which, although that uncertainty, you have control because you say yes or no, and it's like it's like the dice man, yeah. or, or or flipping a coin. Heads I go, tails I don't. Yeah. And it's enriching, it's empowering, yeah. and you, and you and and it's so exhilarating. Whereas this uh, lack of certainty is it's it's oppressive, isn't it? <laughs> yes. um, and it, and it wipes out any chance of that other kind of uncertainty. Uh, it's a nightmare for that yeah. for anyone who's spontaneous, and I think most creatives are yeah Mm. yeah absolutely no exactly that's you said it it's there are two different kinds of uncertainty um but uh yeah i'm i'm i am very grateful that i've that i did get my master's in composition for film and i did have some thoughts about how i could be fulfilled creatively and not traveling so much with the family and you know kind of put all these things into place so that on the other side of lockdown i'm not you know, one of, I don't know, 20 DJs on, you know, yeah. my DJ agents roster calling and just saying, when can I get booked? When can I get booked? You know, because, mm. uh, you know, I, it's, uh, it's going to be so hard to just live off performing. Mm. So yeah, I'm just, in terms of that, I'm just gonna see what happens. Um, but yeah, it's just, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sure everything will, will bounce back in due time and probably quickly. Yes, yes, I'm sure. But I think part part of being a survivor, which which I, I I would label anyone who manages to do this any longer than about five minutes, <laughs> is that uh, <laughs> is that um, you bring stuff along with you. Um, and uh, again, that relates back to what happened to you earlier and what's happening to you now. Obviously, you're earlier. I th- I, th- I think you know you start off, or I certainly do, in a mindset of well. I'm not versed or trained in X, Y, and Z. And you tried to rectify that when you went for your master's. I'm not versed in X, Y, and Z, therefore I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Or therefore someone else will do it better. So you doubt. But there's, of course, there's this drive in you that says, now come on, come on, I can do this. And then actually what happens is it sort of flips and then you realise that you have a very unique experience leading up to it. So in your case, you are bringing that electronic stroke DJ ethic to this soundtrack and to, I, I, I think I heard you say that it was your professor at the Royal College of Music who said, hey, look, stop trying to be us. Why don't you try and be you? <laughs> you know, try, try and be you and, and, and introduce what you do to this, to this parentheses, to this, to this general picture. Um, and perhaps that, did that change things for you then, change your mindset? Absolutely. I mean, it was just, I didn't want to come in with an attitude of like, I'm older than the other master's students. I've had experience in the real world. I've traveled, you know what I mean? Like, you know, look guys, that's cool that, you know, you're 22 and, you know, can orchestrate, but 
you know, da, da, da. I, I was, I was like, I'm coming in in a very humble perspective. Like if I did have a professor that said electronic music is not what we teach here. Right. You know, which I had to be, I had to be open to that possibility because that, that could have happened. Right. So yeah. I just had to be open to the, the idea that they wouldn't even, you know, I've heard it before. It makes me cringe, but yeah, that electronic music isn't real music or, you know, horrible things like this. And I just went into it thinking, okay, no matter what anyone says, it doesn't matter what they think of the other music I've done, you know, or electronic music, what anybody else does all that. I'm basically here to work with these players and learn how to, how to do that. And, you know, no, no offense will be taken if anything like this is said, but yeah, so it was a great, great fit that I studied with Howard Davidson, who I'm still in touch with. And um, yeah, even his wife was just texting me this morning, probably to send a Christmas card asking for my address. You know, we're, you know, we're really close. I I requested to study with him the second year. I mean, he was just so amazing. Um, But yeah, he just, he said, combine the musical voice I developed as an electronic composer with the new palette of writing for orchestra rather than start from scratch and try to find a sound as a pure orchestral or you know composer which i've never done and that's okay there's a lot of people Mm. who are that (laughs) yeah well this is it yeah (laughs) this is it totally and but when and when you approach your soundtrack work um your film composition work do you feel you still approach it I mean, I, I, we were saying a little earlier that we both use Logic. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm very fond of that. I've, I, I think I used Cubase on the Atari in about 1993, you know, for about two years. And then someone went, hey, go, come over to Logic. And I've never gone back. Yeah. I mean, it's just a, I've, I've developed with it. And I, I, during the lockdown, I learned how to use Ableton. But I just, my default is, is Logic. It's just, it's just the way I work. Um, and I think it's quite... It's probably quite clumsy, but I've so versed in that. Not not clumsy generally, but the way I use it, I think, is quite clumsy. But I'm so well versed in it and, and getting out of it what I want to get out of it. Maybe it takes me 40 minutes longer than everyone else, but I, at least I know how to get around it. So I wonder, do you approach, do you still, do you feel you approach your soundtrack work as if you're creating an electronic track? In some ways, yes. And I'm now teaching at the Royal College of Music. And, you know, <laughs> I, one thing that I I learned when I, when I arrived at the college. And I think one reason that they were keen to accept me, although I hadn't done the orchestration stuff is that when you're writing for film and you're using a DAW, like we said earlier, like logic or pro tools or whatever, Cubase, (laughs) you are using electronic software and you have to, you have to know how to use the MIDI instruments or samples and layer recordings at the end of the day, you know, whether or not you've recorded a live instrument or not, you're still EQing, you're still adding reverb, you're still mixing. And you're still, if you, if you want someone to like what you've created, it can't just be what you wrote in your notation software. It ha- at the end of the day, especially directors who are not specifically, you know, music buffs, they're not going to say that's an amazing chord progression. I, the sound quality is not good, but I, I totally hear what you're, where you're coming from. You know, that's, that would be <laughs> yeah, yeah, very yeah. rare. So I do mm-hmm. approach it. And when, you know, when I've been teaching, really helping and, and focusing on um, the production quality. And so that does come from electronic 
you know, music production as well. It's, it's really all the same to me because again, it doesn't matter if it's an audio track or a software synth or an analog synth that you've recorded in at the end of the day, it's all about creating a final bounce of music, a stereophile or whatever that sounds good. And, you know, like you, right. it doesn't matter how you get there. Like you said, whether it took you 40 minutes or 40 hours or 40 seconds, it doesn't really matter as long as it sounds good, you know, and it's just knowing the tools that, you know, you have at your disposal to get there. So I do, I, you know, I just, I try to look at the orchestra, like I said, as just a, not just cause I absolutely love it. And it's so amazing, but you know, just this expansive, rich palette, you know, that has so much depth that you just, that you can just add and take from it and it's there for you. <laughs> do, do, do you find yourself imagining scenarios where this music might be heard? Um, I, I, I think um, David Byrne touched on this in his book, you know, I, I can't remember what it's called about, you know, what, what is music? Where, where are we at with music was the essential premise. I can't remember the um, exact title of the book now, but uh, he talks about how music is, is, is sculpted by the, the live scenarios it's projected to be in. So, and it's interesting if you look at something like jazz, for instance, that's, that's, that's what that's um, taken a very interesting path from being something that everyone shouted at, over whilst drinking beers in in the twenties and thirties, and 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 dancing to this this chin scratchy uh, element where we all sit in concert halls now and revere every note. Right. Um, you see how it's adapted. I just wonder when you're creating music, do you think, like for instance, with the LEO, the the the, the orchestra, the, I believe you you founded really, didn't you? I mean, you 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 created that. I did. So yeah, London Electronic yeah. Orchestra. And we had our yes. first concert in March 2014 um, before I graduated uh, Royal College mm. of Music. So that was that's how I got started. Do, and when you're producing that music, do you kind of still imagine that in that club environment? Well, and so, okay, so for London Electronic Orchestra, or for example, right now I'm wrapping up writing an album with Jamie Jones that's also full orchestra and electronic. I, I can't help but envision and be excited about the live shows but not that they'd be in a those would be more like at a concert hall so i do i do think about if i'm going to write for orchestra and if we're going to record a live orchestra i do think about all of those players that that could be playing right so if i'm going to add pizzicato cello should i just add the pizzicato bass there's right there it would sound cool layered under or you know oh they're sat on this side of the stage on the other side of the stage what if the harp you know is on the other side and they do something and you can hear this live panning. So I do think about the sort of, or and an orchestra for the orchestra more than anything, I think about where they're, where they sit and how it could sound really cool live, you know, <laughs> just because those shows are so amazing when they, when they do happen, it's not, you know, it's such a privilege and it's, it's not something you get to do all the time, but when they do happen, it's, it's a really incredible experience. And the more, mm. the more thought you put into that stuff, it's like, it's never ending really. You could just write more and more and more and think of more and more and more, but yeah, everything is end up, all those nuances are sort of heard live and, and make people, um, I think that they are appreciated and they're cool, but then, you know, club music, of course you think about, will the kick drum sound 
loud enough at the club and the bass and you know so there's different things you think about <laughs> I, 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 I still uh, you, you know we've talked about things that we don't feel comfortable about I'm still not convinced that I understand the full science of a bass drum and uh, and, I, and I, I say that I mean with tongue in cheek but there is such an art to the bass drum I mean it's so key yeah. uh, and and you can understand why people go through 450 bass drums before they, before they decide that is the correct bass drum yeah. uh, and I, I, I feel like you say you went to do a masters uh, in soundtrack arrangement etc etc um i feel like i need to go and do a masters in bass drum technology <laughs> because because it's it is an art format and it and it's it's something that people have been talking to me about for 20 years and i and i i i use parts of my brain to decipher which bass drum i'm going to use which i think are inverted commas incorrect i want to use other people's approaches to it because it appears that they they understand it and perhaps they imagine it they know what it's going to sound like in that environment mm. Uh, and I sometimes I think it's it might be wise to take a mix, go borrow a, a nightclub for for ten minutes, play it in there, and go okay, it works here. And th- it's only then that you know. I always feel in the studio you're trying to artificially create this environment, and you just got to hope that you can. There's some imagination that's going on. You have to imagine some element of those frequencies. I think absolutely. And I would just say, of you know, to make to to say that you're correct. I think that of all the dance tracks, I've released there's very few i I don't want to say none there's one that's you know on this new compilation that i put it i donated a track to for a a club in detroit that's really suffering under you know covid19 closure Um, and that i never i didn't even mix it my studio i couldn't even get here i was like oh god i heard the master and i was just like i'm sure i'm not the only one but yeah that might be the only track that i didn't play at a nightclub because usually i would just during my sound check for a DJ set or whatever, um, just play stuff back and handy, yeah. very yeah, handy. Yeah, exactly. That. Cause you want to hear what it sounds like <laughs> in the booth and in the room, you know, or test stuff out. So that's the way. And then the other thing people do in terms of bass drum is just reuse one that, you know, works. So once you get a bass mm. drum that, you know, so, you know, you have, if you have 10 tracks that you've done this with and tested, mm. then, then you might want to just reuse one of those 10. <laughs> try yeah, try yeah. 450 and be like, these are tried and tested 10. If any of these happen yeah. to work or can layer a couple of these, we should mm-hmm. be good. But there's, yeah, it's, 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 it's amazing what, what the lengths we go to to sort of try and understand our own mix. Like, I, I mean, the, the driving in the car is a massive one for me. I was talking to someone about it the other day. I think the, the, the joy of driving in a car, first, there's a couple of things. Firstly, you you subconsciously pick up all the nuances of that environment on so many occasions that you know it perhaps maybe even better than your studio the second one is that because you're driving the parts of your brain that interfere with the listening are engaged and so you are able to just they're locked in and they're out of your way and then your ears can go oh okay how does this sound so I think the car is a is a key is a key one big one yeah I don't have a car here but I, I I'm with you until I moved to London I always the car was huge I had you know mm. before you know in the end I'd plug in a CD, um, my phone but even before then I would burn a CD and I had a CD changer and you know in the back That's and, it, you yeah. know that was like the first way I would test stuff um, but yeah for sure and you're you're totally right about zoning out that's I sometimes I'll play stuff on airplay so I'll put it on my phone at the studio and then play it on airplay while I'm cooking dinner because it's yeah. just like you said it's like not thinking about oh is that bar 64 is that whatever come gonna come in you know that you spent way too long on you're just thinking about the bar numbers you can almost see the arrangement and the colors of the stuff and Mm. you 
just need mm. to get rid of that and just listen. <laughs> And, and, and quite often in that it's almost you, you take so much of the thought out of it that quite often if you get through to the track and nothing makes you go oh what was that yeah. then then it's good yeah. you know <laughs> as long as you as long as you don't get tripped out of it by something and go oh that's annoying me or that's too loud it's it's good yeah. it's done exactly yeah. no totally i'm with you 100 percent. if you don't if you don't if something doesn't stop you and, and make you think like eh, then just mm. let it be done <laughs> <laughs> it's quite right so I just want to qu- uh, quickly touch on on what music means to you, if that isn't too broad a, a, a title. Um, I don't know anything about your 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 musical background, your family history, for instance. Is your family particularly musical? Um, I would say yes on my dad's side because on my dad's side, he's Slovak American, and his mom. Nice. Yeah, so his mom and dad were both Slovak, one hundred percent, and. Um, they both, especially my grandma, she played the organ and piano until into her nineties, you know, played the organ at church into her nineties and her sister's a piano teacher. And I have a cousin that's a jazz pianist in New York from that side. So we have a lot of musical, especially piano players on that Mm. side. My dad was not a pianist, um, but he loved classical music. Um, Mm. Now he listens to other stuff, but back when I grew up, he only listened to classical music and he was very passionate about it. <laughs> right. So w- were you allowed other music in the house? Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, we were allowed other music in the house. It's just in my dad's car, it was classical only. And it, <laughs> yeah. my dad, and in a way, my dad is the one who taught me how to listen because when we would be driving in the car, he would ask my brother and I to stop talking. He would say, you know, he'd turn it up and say, this is the best part, you know, and turn it up. And he was just so passionate about the music he was listening to. It wasn't just like calm classical CDs. I mean, these were specific pieces he knew. (laughs) Yeah. That's a great, that's a great story because um, I can remember being like my uncle or my mum sharing those kind of experiences with me. And of course, at that age, you don't quite engage. You're learning the lessons of listening, but of course you're something inside you going, I'm not sure I'm deep enough to connect with this yet. You know, those aren't the words you'd use, but there is something in you going, I'd rather just play with an action man, really. I mean, but it, it gets ingrained. And then of course you find yourself 20 or 30 years later, doing the same thing, you know, yeah. either to your kids or to anyone, just go, oh, just listen to this. And and you check yourself about how passionate you are and you see a repeat performance of, of that parent or that relative saying this to you and you go, oh, I get it now. You know, I, I understand. I wish I could go back and go, yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's just, I guess, just even, so in terms of, I guess, what music means to me, what I started to learn, although I totally didn't grasp why, but that music was more than something that plays in shops and music is more than something that's just, it's like a wallpaper in the background that, you know, and I started piano lessons when I was five and my parents, my mom put me into a lot of stuff. My mom, my mom has a sister and she grew up in the fifties and wasn't able to do sports. So I was also in a lot of sports and I was really bad at every single one. So, I mean, I was, it was a massive failure on that side. Um, not great at ballet. I mean, but she just wanted to give me these opportunities she was not able to have. Um, mm. But piano, so piano was the one thing that I naturally excelled at. And I think because I was failing, you know, at the same time in the other sport, <laughs> I uh, was 
happy to play the piano. (laughs) I'm actually horrible at this one thing, you know, not embarrassed. Um, So, yeah, so I was starting to play and I remember by the age of around seven or something, I just really enjoyed it. You know, if I saw a piano in public or wherever, I just wanted to sit down. I just really enjoyed it. Um, Mm. And that coupled with, like I said, you know, even though I didn't know why, but knowing that music could make, you know, could engage people. And we'd go to see the Chicago symphony when I was a kid with my grandma and my dad. And they, you know, it was an amazing time for that because we had Daniel Barenboim, was a conductor. I know exactly. It was, it was, you know, (laughs) so if you don't, even if you didn't understand it, you did somehow know it was amazing. You could see Mm. the attention and you could feel the electricity and, you know, you knew that something Mm. was going on. And, um, and then. So a bit, a a bit like, a bit like the car scenario we were talking about. Does it, does it, is it therapeutic for you in the sense that your brain is, is glad to be engaged in something that fully when you listen? Yeah. So I think what music means to me is it's, you know what I'm. I guess what I'm trying to get at, and what, what I saw, and what I, what inspired me, and still inspires me, is people having this collective experience, whether it's live, or whether it's you know that you love a song and you've listened to it a thousand times, and when you hear it, it just takes you back to a memory, or it just if you're having the most stressful day, you just hear it and it makes time stand still, and the music has this power to stop time and, and bring people together, whether it's DJing and there's 2000 people at a club and you, you know, everybody just is not talking and everyone's just listening in a way, you know, or dancing to the same stuff or if they're in a classical concert hall and everyone is, you know, you can hear a pin drop because everybody is genuinely trying to be quiet and, you know, and focus. So I think it's that, you know, what I, I think is even now just trying to, rain in my final thought here but i think even now when we have a, a less attention span um uh i don't want to say society but you know we just commercials are faster things are faster everything's faster 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 yeah, I, yeah, you can't leave your phone alone for five minutes i mean it's five like, yeah, minutes. Stuff, yeah. <laughs> you're doing yeah. well neil five minutes yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, quite, yeah. you know no but no for sure so for yeah i think music is so powerful in the sense that i can just really engage people and take people away from mm. whatever distractions we have and whatever have you ever have you ever have you have you ever reflected on how much it is which back to the control thing again but have you ever reflected on how much it's controlled your destiny and your life when you look around you and you, I mean, I'm looking at you, we're on a Zoom chat now and I'm looking behind you and I can see a studio behind you and you can see a studio behind me. <laughs> yeah. And um, that would be testament to sort of, sort of, we've created our own, our own little chapels here, haven't we, really, um, in reverence to music. Um, do you feel, do you, do you feel um, that you are in some way like, like a, you know, a, that's rather crass but a musical disciple do you do you feel like you're just on the journey that it's taking you on and do do you feel it's it's shaped do you ever reflect on how much it's shaped your life Mm. well yeah it it has so starting with my 20s like you mentioned you know just taking gigs and I was just I graduated university and I was just sort of like oh I'll just see what happens you know so I was Mm. genuinely just letting music and whatever was going to happen with my music career just guide my life. Right. And Mm. when there were, there came a time in the States where there was 
there were no shows for DJs. So, you know, every, every American producer that was around, you know, my age in the, in their twenties all moved to Berlin. Berlin was the place. It was cheap rent. And, you know, that's where, you know, you needed to be. And Mm. so, I mean, I saw it shape a lot of people's lives and I was planning to move to Berlin which I told my husband. And then a week later he told me he liked me. And I was like, Oh, I li-. and he's my friend. I was like, yeah, I like you too. He's like, no, like, I like you, like you. <laughs> and uh, then, you know, so like I said, he did become my husband and I didn't move to Berlin. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'd say for me, it's always been family. I've always chosen family over music, music, Oh, yeah. So that, have you? Yeah. Have you really? I, I, you know, I've just written down on my piece of paper. I was going to ask you if you've. <laughs> that's strange. I was going to ask you if you ever had to choose between life and music. I don't mean life literally, but something that in your life and music. And what what choices did you make? Yeah. So it's always it's always for me. It's always been family, and you know, choosing to get married, for example, and needed to stay in Chicago, um, and then you know, it's more important for me to start a family and, you know, have my mm. son than chase after the biggest gig, you know? So it was, it was always like, um, but that said, most of my friends when you, and I'm sure you feel the same music has my social world, my friends, my support network, where I am right now, everything else. I mean, those are the top two in my life, family. And music. Yeah. <laughs> so you're actually you're actually quite grounded, actually, from what you're telling me. You're quite grounded. I mean, that's a good thing. You're quite grounded, and maybe that you you have that whole yin yang thing going on, where you've got music, which is chaos, and then family and social life, which is which is not, which is grounding. Perhaps that's what you have. Try to try trying to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, but it's, it's 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 always a it's it's an interesting thing to me as to how much um, I, I'm always asking how chaotic is music in a way you know how how much of a dissenting voice is it how much does it come and disrupt and how much does it try and be number one um, and it's it's these are these are interesting choices and and I think as we hit on earlier as soon as you've got children or family to worry about then this is exactly the moment when you go okay I have to make a choice I've never made before which is I have to choose this little person first. Um, and these are these are key moments. These are key, and they're good things. And and they and they also make you manage your time better, so that when you do dedicate yourself to music, people people worry. You know, when they're about to have kids, so they think, oh no, music, I won't have any time. Actually, you have more and better time because you don't spend twelve hours worrying about a bass drum. You just get on with it. No, this is what you said is so true. I I also always wanted to say yes to stuff genuinely. Like you know, I just. Yeah, I just, everything sounds good to me. I just I like working on a bunch of different things, you know. So it's just sort of like, hey, would you like to do this? Would you like to try that? You know, yeah. you know. Hopefully, we're going to get some compensation later. You know, that that kind of thing. Yeah. Um. And then yeah, once I had my son, and I, you know, working on something for a project that wasn't for myself, you know, means now I'm not with my son, and I'm paying someone to watch my son. So yeah, mm-hmm. it, it that definitely changed. Um, my approach to, you know, how many projects I would take on. And like you said, I'm not going to spend 12 hours looking for a bass drum anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You know. But to be honest, you know, you probably 10 hours of those were probably wasted previously, but you had the indulgence to waste that time. Exactly. Yeah. 10 hours is like also Facebook and social media and Ah, chatting and whatever. We know. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Well, just to just to finish off as a as a final thought, I just wanted to bring up something that's actually happening between us because we we did, we haven't met before this, oh. but you are 
working on a remix for me at the moment, aren't you? I just thought I'd drop that in. Yeah. How are you getting, how are you getting on? <laughs> no, it's going well. Thank you. So, um, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. No, it's, I mean, I, yeah, right. You're like, oh, that remix. No, it, <laughs> no, it's going really well. So, yeah, as, as you know, the first, the first song, which I really liked, just, mm. you know, I think, I think it's important when you find a template or something that works for you that, you just stick with it. Cause again, that's your sound, you know what I mean? And yeah. that's just the way you do it. And, and I, lo- I enjoy remixing and I have a sort of a routine, if you will, I don't do loads of remixes, but I, I like the yeah. way, you know, I, I like the way I work. I enjoy it. And I couldn't take the, the last track that, you know, was freely played and kind of remix it the way I'm used to. And I was just like, Oh, yeah. I don't know about this. <laughs> well, I, well, well, I gave you a living hell. I gave you a living hell to deal with. And, and quite unwittingly, I, I, um, I, because things tend to happen sort of in one take or, or for me, they tend to sort of just happen out of the blue. Yeah. And then I, I don't have the wherewithal to go, well, I should really play this to click. So I just, I just threw it down. And then I think there, I mean, there's, there's drum programming on it and I must've just played it freely and just sort of made sure that it was all in time. So the whole thing's a nightmare to remix because as you say, you can't put it on the grid, but I, but I think you did the, the wise thing and you went, no, give me something that, that, that you did play to click. Give me half a chance. Yeah. Here. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm glad that we found an answer because I, I was very excited about you um, remixing Aww. my track. And I, thank you, Neil. And I, re- I really enjoyed. Yeah. So I I basically just pulled you up on Spotify and like we said earlier, just kind of put you on in the kitchen <laughs> and when you know it's just cooking or whatever. Oh, I was like, yeah. whoa, you know, I just had you on for like two days. You know, just like oh, oh really? Yeah. So it was, it was, it was like it, that. Night. It was stuck it on, was, was it? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I could have changed it. But, Malfunction. You, know, you change things when they're you know not feeling right. So I was like, this is great. Oh. So yeah, I'm I'm excited oh, really and. I've, I've found, I'm sure you feel the same way too, whether it's a remix or a track where you just, you know, you know, I have, I have enough layers now and I've, I've I know where it's going and it's just yeah. arranging it now. And yeah. Lovely. And so, yeah, that's exciting. And, and it's going to be on vinyl too. Is that right? That's the plan. I think it probably will be. Yeah. yeah. I think it probably will be. Yeah. It, um, the album certainly is, uh, but that will come after the album. So I'm, I, yeah, I, I expect it will be. Well, I'm glad we finished this chat. Um, saying great things about me it couldn't be more perfect <laughs> yeah you can just place this to the beginning and end right <laughs> i think we'll just make it a 30 second podcast yeah there we go uh, but it's i'm um, uh despite us running late it's been lovely to talk to you, oh, you um and uh i i hope we get to meet properly in person like a lot of people around these parts uh sometime soon and um talk more music and do more music um but in the meantime Take care and thanks ever so much, Kate. Thank you so much, Neil. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Kate Simcoe and thanks for listening to The Looking Glass. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. <laughs>